comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What is up, Aztec fans? 8-0 for the first time in almost a decade, and boy, does it feel good. Welcome to the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name is Trone, and I'm going to be hosting today. Later in the episode, I'm going to be joined by Justin Michael, who covers the Colorado State Rams. Before we get anything, though, I want to do the obligatory reminder to follow, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, give nice reviews, all that stuff. You can find the podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts are listened to. Uh, the main site is anchor.fm slash Aztec Breakdown. I encourage you to go there to make sure you can uh, support the podcast as well as send in voice messages to tell me why I'm wrong or tell me why I'm right and why you agree. Whatever, whatever you want to do, send in those voice messages. I definitely encourage it. You can also find me on Twitter, on YouTube, at Aztec Breakdown. It's all real streamlined there. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. I trust everyone had a good Thanksgiving, if only for the fact that San Diego State beat both Creighton and Iowa in the Las Vegas Invitational. Hopefully it was good for other reasons as well. But if nothing else... We have that to be thankful for. And I have to admit, I feel like this is becoming a little bit of a trend here in the show, and I'm okay with it uh, in terms of I'm about to eat a little bit of crow here. If you have been listening pretty much since I started, I think my second episode I ever recorded was the episode where I break down the schedule game by game, and I talk about which games I think the Aztecs will win and which games the Aztecs will lose. At this point in the season, I had the Aztecs at 6-2, and two, losing to both Creighton and then whoever they played after that. And I did that because it was a combination of thinking Creighton and either Texas Tech or more likely Iowa were better than they currently seem to be. And also not thinking the Aztecs would be quite this good to start the season. I thought where they are right now is about where they would be at the end of the season, I think. Maybe maybe not even quite this good. I don't know. It's hard to look back because you got the rose-colored glasses, but I definitely felt they would be better towards the end of the season because there's what five new players that are being integrated and Dutch coach Dutch has shown an ability to get his guys ready at the end of the season and have them playing their best basketball in February and March. I just didn't think they would be there this early. And yet here we are. The Aztecs completely dominated Creighton, who was a good offensive basketball team. I think at the time that the game started, Creighton was seventh in Ken Palm in adjusted offensive efficiency. And I think Iowa was right up there too at the start of that game. They were about seventh. Creighton is now down at 16th in adjusted offensive efficiency. And Iowa is, sorry, I'm pulling it up. They're at ninth. So those are two very good offensive teams, elite offensive teams. And granted, Ken Palm is still doing some of its 
adjusting, but we are eight games in. So it's a more accurate representation than it was at the beginning of the season. And San Diego State flustered both of them and more so Creighton, you know, holding Creighton to 53 points. That was huge. That was absolutely huge. And Creighton just looked like they couldn't get anything done on the floor. And that was huge. And I I tweeted out, if the Aztecs can play like that, it'll be hard for anybody to beat them. If they play with that intensity level and that execution, the execution is important. I, I tend to go the opposite direction of a lot of fans. And I don't know if it's necessarily right or wrong. I just, I go with what I see, but whenever teams aren't playing well, a lot of fans, their first instinct is to question the effort. And a lot of the times I feel like I'm seeing effort, but it's being channeled in the wrong way or the effort is there, but it's leading to sloppy play, things like that. And once again, it's not right or wrong. It's just how I see things. So if they play with not only the effort they had against Creighton, but that level of execution as well, it'll be hard for anybody to score on this team, which is crazy because that's not what at least I was thinking. I I can't speak for anybody else, but I wasn't thinking the team would be that good defensively. Looking at the tape from previous years of guys like Malachi Flynn and guys like KJ Fagan, they didn't seem to be the best defenders. And, And Malachi could get some steals because he's a very smart player and he knows how offenses work, so he knows where he needs to be to disrupt them. But that's not the same thing as just shutting a team down, and that's what this Aztecs team has been able to do. And if anything, I would have thought Nathan Mensa would have been key to that. If if they were able to pull that off, it would be because Nathan Mensa is locking down the paint, and he's been okay there. But he hasn't he hasn't seemed to be as good as I thought he would be. And in a lot of ways, on paper, he's actually better than last season. He's committing less fouls, although it's still too many. His block rate is higher. I think his, at least his defensive rebounding rate is higher. But at the same time, I just released on Twitter the the points over expectation numbers for the whole conference and his numbers there, I guess his defensive numbers there are good. His offensive numbers aren't great, but they aren't as improved as I thought they would be. And the same thing with the player impact plus minus it's not as improved as I thought it would be he's been doing good don't get me wrong I just I think I haven't been as impressed as I would have wanted to be and so I set the expectation a little too high and it's it's disappointing me in that regard even though he's been playing pretty well aside from the fouls but like I said the fouls are improved from last year but it's a combination of Nathan and Yanni, and Yanni can move his feet, man. That guy, man, I wish we could have had him for four years. He would have been, he would have been great. And he'll be great for one year too. But but also, you know, you got Matt Mitchell out there, you got Jordan Shackle out there, and they're doing things, and Malachi and KJ. KJ has been super surprising. I, I posted his POE numbers, and on the defensive end, guys aren't scoring on him for whatever reason. And it's I have a couple things on a list that I want to go back and look at the tape for to see what exactly is happening. Because in the few times I've paid attention to KJ Fagan on defense, 
he doesn't look like his screen technique is the greatest. You know, it looks like he's going under sometimes and maybe he shouldn't. Or when he does go over, he's not flipping his hips the right way. He's kind of trying to slide over it, which isn't ideal. That being said, whatever he's doing through eight games has been working. His, If you give me a second here, his defensive POE is negative 3.5, essentially. So he's 3.5 points per game better than an average defensive player is, essentially, is what that means. So he's killing it. Guys aren't scoring on him. And an announcer said that during the Iowa game. I think it was the Iowa game. It might have been the Creighton game. It doesn't matter, though. They said, you know, they were pointing out, watch how KJ is locking these guys up. And I remember just thinking to myself from the film I had gone over in the preseason, like, KJ doesn't lock people up. He scores and he distributes, but he doesn't lock people up. That's not his game. And then I look at the numbers, and the POE numbers are great. The the player impact plus minus is pretty close to average. So he's been huge, huge in that regard. His his scoring and his offense in general hasn't quite come around yet. He is still eight games in throwing passes that just make me scratch my head because I feel like he should know better than that. It, it might be because he just has faith that his guys are going to get it. I, I don't know for sure. That's one of the things I want to go in and look at the tape for as well. But regardless, the point is, it feels good to be 8-0. This team has surpassed my expectations, and I'm happy about it. Absolutely. I am stoked. I believe it's the Aztecs haven't had this good of a record since Kawhi's sophomore season back in 2011. And even then, when that team started 8-0, they had a couple wins by like two points and one win by four points to not great teams. And this team has beaten every opponent it's had by at least five, which doesn't seem super significant, but it's never been done before in San Diego State history. And that's special. And so I'm looking around at all these tournament projections, and it's way early because a couple bad losses and this thing can fall apart. You know, they lose to San Jose State at home and and things change real quick. But it's exciting. It's exciting to have a team that's that's this good. That's really that's really what it comes down to. So it was a good week. The AP poll came out earlier today as I'm recording this. The Aztecs were placed number 28 in the AP poll. One reporter from Lansing of all places had the Aztecs ranked as high as 8th in the nation which was cool. The Aztecs don't deserve that. I don't know what that guy is thinking. I, you know, I would call him out for it to be like, as a San Diego state fan, they shouldn't be eighth. I just, uh, I think the AP poll should reflect what you've done. And while winning the Las Vegas invitational was great. I don't think it puts them in the company of top 10 teams. I do think they should be ranked. If I, was one of the media members that ranks them. I'd probably put them at about 25 on on my ballot. I think that's probably a fair spot for them. I was trying to look at teams that were ahead of them that maybe shouldn't be. And honestly, I couldn't really find anything. I, I had thought Florida would drop more, but then I looked and it was because I thought they had lost a game this week that they hadn't actually lost. I don't know where I'd heard it. So I don't fault... 
the media specifically for that, even though I do think the Aztec should be ranked. It's one of those things where I can kind of see the argument and, and the reason why they're not. But that being said, if the Aztecs come out of this week at 10 and 0, I think that'll help. If they come out of the next week, if they beat Colorado state coming up, San Jose state on Saturday, then they beat Utah and Cal Poly the next week. They're 12 and 0. And I believe those are the last games of the year. So they're 12 and 0 heading into the new year. And at a certain point, being undefeated like that, even if many of the games have been against easier teams, you throw in the good teams like at BYU and on a neutral against Creighton and Iowa, and that 12 and 0 starts to mean something. And if they can extend it to 14 and 0, 15 and 0, I don't know the, the order of the schedule off the top of my head right now, but. At a certain point, that undefeated record will mean something. And if they just keep winning, they will get into the top 25. I have I have no doubt about that. Moving on. How amazing has Malachi Flynn been? Can we just can we I don't even know how to properly like show respect to him in this format, but the dude has been crazy. And apparently, this was news to me, but apparently. Some Aztec fans were thinking he was a bust early on in the season because he wasn't scoring 20 points a game, I guess, which blows my mind because they were winning every game. He didn't need to score 20 points every game because other guys were doing it. And even though he's playing at the shooting guard position, he's still a point guard by trade. He's going to, he's going to see a lot of his job is getting those guys, their shots more than anything else. It's just point guards just think differently on the floor than other guys do. He had a lot of assists and not many turnovers. So I don't know where these people are coming from. He was shooting well. He's been shooting like 40% from three for the whole season. So I don't know where these people have been coming from. Maybe one of you are listening. I don't know. Please send in a voice message. Let me know why you thought that he was a bust. Because I looked at every game And I think his lowest scoring output was 10 or 11, which sure isn't all-star potential, but it's still double-digit scoring, which the Aztecs normally only have one or two of those a year, and they need it. And two, those came in games where he's also getting, you know, four or five assists and three steals. It's, I don't know. Some people, I think, overvalue scoring, and I kind of get it, but I don't know. I can't believe people were saying he was a bust. He's been great. And after the Las Vegas Invitational, I got a friend of mine and he texted me. I don't remember if it was after the Creighton game or the Iowa game, but really it doesn't matter. He texted me. He just said, Malachi Flynn put the nation on notice or just put the nation on notice, something like that. And I'll, yeah, that's, that's the only way you can say it. Like the dude is a baller. I was looking up on BartTorvik.com earlier. He has a stat that's similar to the POE stat that I do. I don't think it's as good, but it's a lot easier to find because it's kind of hard to put the POE stat together and especially doing it for the whole conference like I'm trying to do now. It just takes a lot of legwork to do that I don't need to get into. But at Bart Torvik, he has a stat that's similar. He calls it poor Pagatu. And it stands for points over replacement player a game at that usage. 
And so it's just, it's, it's another way of measuring how efficient a player is. And he has a defensive version of it too. I don't know how the defensive version works. The offensive one makes sense to me. I don't understand how the defensive one works and that's fine. Malachi Flynn leads the mountain West in both of those stats, which just means he's being super efficient. And Sam Merrill from Utah state is neck and neck with him on the offensive end. They're both at 5.2, but Malachi Flynn is ahead. So he's ahead by, you know, a hundredth of a point or, you know, less than a 10th of a point at least. But Malachi Flynn is ahead, but on the defensive end, he's ahead by a couple tenths of a point. And so he's, he's leading the conference in both of those. And that's just one stat. And Sam Merrill has been scoring more. Essentially he's been getting to the free throw line more often. I think he has a better shooting percentage from three point range. So it's not to discount anything he's done, but if someone wants to make an argument for Malachi Flynn to be the player of the year for the Mountain West Conference, it's early, but that's one thing you can point to. And that's assuming it holds, but it's just, I like to have all these different sources and these different things that help influence my thinking to create a whole picture. But so just shouts out to Malachi Flynn. Dude has been a baller. He's going to keep being a baller. He's he's great. The last thing I wanted to talk about, I talked about KJ Fagan and his defense. His offense is underwhelmed a little bit, but we kind of talked about that earlier. I wanted to talk about Trey Pulliam really quick. He's another one of these guys that I want to go back at the tape and, and try and figure out what's really going on. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know. And I did have a guy on Twitter, you know, reply to something. I said something about Trey Pulliam and just saying, you know, he's not, he hasn't started out well, but I do think he'll get out of it. And this guy was of the opinion that he's been okay. Maybe he hasn't been great, but he's been what the team needed. And he's been doing pretty good overall in terms of plus minus, which is true, but has surprised me because he just, to me, he hasn't looked that good. He's taken three three-point shots and missed all of them. He takes a lot of floaters in the mid-range. And in case you weren't aware, the floater is probably the least efficient shot, if not top three least efficient shots you can take because you release it with one hand, which makes it hard to guide the shot in terms of left or right. And normally you don't stop and jump straight up. You're still jumping forward while you do it. So it makes it hard to aim in terms of front and back. So it's just, it's a hard shot to pull off. And I went back and I looked at my notes on Trey from one of his games at his previous school. And he hit a couple floaters in that game. And so this is, it's not new, you know, for a second, I thought that maybe he was taking floaters because he wasn't used to the size or the speed or something like that. That's not the case. They, I don't know. They just, they aren't falling. I really wish he would try instead of pulling up early for that floater. I wish he would try to take it to the hoop more. If he is going to pull up for a mid range, I really wish he would set his feet and jump straight up for an actual jump shot instead of a floater. I wish he would take a couple more three pointers. He's taken three, for the whole season, we're eight games in. He's taken three three-point shots. This is a dude that shot 
I think it was 35 or 36% at his last school. So he can hit them at a good enough clip. And there's been times over the past couple of games where I thought he was open and it, it can be hard to judge that sometimes live and with the angle the camera's at, but it looked like he was open and he could have shot it and he didn't. He has been getting some assist. He's had a few turnovers as well. But I just wish he would take it to the hoop more. You know, Mike from Aztec Hoops Nation has mentioned on Twitter a number of times that he didn't see Trey Pulliam miss a single free throw in the entire Swish League. But Trey's only had one free throw attempt all season. And a lot of it is because he mostly has been taking that floater shot. You don't get fouled on floaters because you shoot that before you get anywhere close to contact. So I really wish he would take it into the lane because even if he doesn't make the shot, if he can draw a couple fouls, he can hit a couple free throws, see the ball go through the bucket. Maybe that'll help. I don't know. I'm going to go back through the tape and see if I can find anything. Cause watching the games live, I haven't noticed anything. I'm still faithful that Trey will be able to figure it out at some point. And hopefully between the next four games, you got Colorado state, which is probably an above average opponent, if only by a little bit, but the Aztecs should be able to win. Then you got San Jose state, which is one of the bottom feeders of the nation. Sadly, I really wish they could be good. I, I'm probably one of the few people that actually really like their basketball floor. I just, I don't know. I'm a history guy and I like the Spartans and I think their floor looks cool. Maybe a little cheesy, but cool. And it would just be nice also for the mountain West to, you know, have all their teams be top 200 teams instead of always having this one be a sub 300 team in terms of Ken Palm. Anyways, you got Colorado state, you got San Jose state, I believe after that, after that, I think is actually San Diego Christian. I always forget because I never see it on the schedule. And then you got Utah and then you got Cal Poly. And so all these teams are maybe slightly above average to way below average. In the terms of San Diego Christian, it's a Division II school. So hopefully over the course of the next four or five games, Trey Pulliam can kind of get a feel for what he's doing on, on the offensive end, whether that means facilitating or hopefully more so scoring really both though. Really? That's what it comes down to because if you have one without the other, it's not going to be as effective. I ramble a little bit, but hopefully he can figure it out before we get into the thick of conference season, because that's when it's going to be even more important to not have Malachi carrying this team offensively every night, at least in terms of facilitation. So anyways, that's that. Let's go to a quick break. And when we come back, we will be joined by Justin Michael. So here's what happened. I recorded the whole first part that you guys just listened to. Did it all up, put it in my thing, went to my other app to record with Justin. And we recorded for about 20 minutes. It was a great conversation. It wasn't even just about this upcoming game. It was about the state of the Mountain West in general and and all sorts of things. And he was a real nice guy. And then the website I used to record just kicked him out for some reason. And normally when that happens, it'll at least save the audio that you had recorded. 
And in this case, it didn't. It saved my audio, but not his for whatever reason. So sadly, Justin will not be joining us. That being said, if anyone is interested in learning a little bit more about uh, Colorado State's program and you know the things they do, what they're looking like, I definitely encourage you to find Justin on Twitter at Justin T. Michael, and he also uh, runs a podcast about Colorado State. I found it. I just searched up Colorado State on uh, or Colorado State University on Apple Podcast, and I was able to find it, and that's how I found him. He was a real nice guy. Hopefully, we're we're already talking about possibly recording for when Colorado State comes to San Diego. We'll we'll try recording again and hopefully we'll have better luck. But by this point, uh, it's just later in the day and I didn't want to ask him to come back and try again, especially because at that point he had already been kicked twice and just the first time we hadn't been recording yet. So just didn't want to risk it tonight and waste any more of his time. But uh, I do want to thank him for coming on. He was a great guy. And We'll just preview these next couple upcoming games just more intimately between me and you and whoever might be listening in your car or room or wherever you happen to be listening. Colorado State. They're currently ranked 122 in Ken Palm. Normally average, I mean, if you take, you know, the middle schools, it's about 170. The actual average in terms of the efficiency margin, which is what Ken Palm measures can vary, but generally just as a rule of thumb, I consider 170 to be average unless I see otherwise. So Colorado State is an above average school. They're not a great school. They're not going to dominate, you know, better, better teams necessarily, but they're an above average school. And so they shouldn't be overlooked. The, the players, we need to look out for as Aztec fans are one, obviously Nico Carvacho who on paper is having a little bit of a down year. But one of the things I asked Justin, I asked him about that and I asked him if the paper is a little misleading. And he said, he thought it was, he said that he thinks the numbers that I brought up are due more to a change in role because Nico has a little bit more talent around him this year. And it's a little bit different system, things of that nature. Regardless Nico is a thousand point scorer and a thousand rebound getter, I guess is the adjective there. He's a good player, right? And he's 6'11, he's a tall dude. He needs to be on the scouting report, definitely. And Nathan Mensa guarded him well last year. It'll be interesting to see how he holds up this year. And we also have Yanni down there to guard Nico. So, I, I mean, it should be fine, but Nico's going to get his points regardless. So there's that. The play, the other players we need to look out for, the biggest one, the guy who leads in player impact plus minus, his name is Adam Thistlewood. He is a 6'6 starting power forward for the Colorado State Rams. He has a PIPM of 6.33, which leads the team. Dude plays kind of like that stretch four role, and he's shooting about 48% from three-point range so far. It's still early in the season. They've only played nine games. We've only played eight. But regardless, dude has been hot to start the season. So containing him and containing that firepower will be important. It sounds like he also likes to use the threat of that three-point shot to attack closeouts and get to the rim that way. 
The other guy who's been doing well in PIPM, especially on the offensive end, is Isaiah Stevens, who is their six-foot shooting guard. So those are the key names to look out for, at least in terms of, of player impact plus minus. Justin had talked to me about, I asked him what it would look like if Colorado State got a win. And he said Colorado State's going to have to play well defensively. Obviously, the Aztecs have been scoring a lot of points. This isn't your your dad's or your older brother's Aztec team. He said they're going to have to play well defensively. He said they're going to need to force a lot of turnovers, which we know is possible because the Aztecs just gave up 12 turnovers in the first half against Iowa. So even if I wouldn't bet on it, we know it's possible. We've seen it happen before. Colorado State hasn't been terribly good at forcing turnovers. They're below average, in fact, at forcing turnovers, according to Ken Palm. And that number, at least, isn't affected by last year's numbers. You know, the the efficiency margins, so like where overall offense and where overall defense ranks, those are affected by last year's numbers and, and the preseason expectations. But the, just the straight-up numbers of like turnover ratio and effective field goal percentage and things like that, those are just from this year. There's no other weights put on it. So they've been below average at forcing turnovers, and they've also been below average uh, at keeping the ball to themselves. They, they turn the ball over more than an average team does. So turnovers will definitely be key. Can the Aztecs hold on to the ball for themselves and – can they force Colorado State into some turnovers? Rebounding will will always be key, and I feel like it's almost a cop-out because on Twitter when I do my game previews, rebounding is one of the three keys to the game, I think, every single time so far. Maybe there was one game where it wasn't. But, I mean, there's a reason for that. It's one of the most important aspects of the game. If you follow... Uh, the the four factors theory, the four factors are uh, effective field goal percentage, and these are both for offense and defense. So how well you shoot the ball and how well you guard shots. The second factor is turnover percentage, right? The third factor is offensive rebounding, but when you count it for both offense and defense, it's really rebounding just on both sides of the floor. And then the fourth factor is how many free throws you take, essentially. And so if you follow that theory at all, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it gives a good, uh, you know, it's a good lens to view the game through. The rebounding is the third most important thing there. So it's definitely an important facet of the game. And when you go up against Nico Carvacho, who is currently 17th in the nation in defensive rebounding percentage, it's it's going to be important. You know, now... To his credit, Nathan Mensa is actually 16th in the nation in defensive rebounding percentage. So you got that. You got that going for you. Uh, those aren't head-to-head because they're both defensive, but shows that Nathan is a pretty good, or has been this season, a pretty good rebounder in his own right. Last season, he he was too. But that's the the Colorado State game. You know, those are the players to look out for. Those are the the things to look out for. We can also really briefly look at San Jose State because they play on 
Sunday. So they'll play before my next recording. San Jose State is ranked 334 in Ken Palm right now. It's not good. They don't really have anybody as far as I can tell that's worth worrying about. And I'll pull up their player impact plus minus real quickly. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw I released the points over expectation for the whole conference over on, on Sunday. So a couple days ago now, if you're listening to this and if you look at San Jose States, there's nobody really to look out for overall. They don't have anybody with a POE greater than one. Their highest is a, Trey Smith, who has 0.83 or 873 points per game, better than an average player. It's it's nothing to worry about. And on top of that, Trey Smith doesn't take a lot of shots. So it's you know, it's nothing to worry about. They don't have a lot of really good players and it's kind of sad, you know, Mark Ziegler put out a piece. It was a while ago now. I don't remember. It was probably the last time the Aztecs played San Jose State. But San Jose State historically over the past five, six, seven years has had a couple good players. They just never had them all at the same time. You know, they would get a good player and he would play for San Jose State for a year or two. And then he would leave. And he would transfer. I think one transferred to Gonzaga a couple years ago. I don't think he's still there, but you know, Gonzaga's a good school. So they had a really good player on the team, but they could never string these guys together. And you know, you gotta wonder if a couple of these guys had stayed for the next guy to come, what San Jose State could have been. And instead, they're, you know, the weight around the entire Mountain West, just just dragging the conference. In, at least in terms of Ken Palm, they just they just drag the the conference overall efficiency down. So there's not much to say, and it's you know you never want to overlook anybody, and I'm sure the coaches will be saying that they aren't overlooking anybody. There's plenty of time in between the San Jose State game and the Utah game, or even the San Diego Christian game. There's 10 days in between San Jose and San Diego Christian, so they'll have they'll have plenty of time. There's no there's no trap game going on here, at least not with San Jose, maybe with San Diego Christian, but probably not even there. They'll have they'll have plenty of time. San Diego State is a five-point favorite at Colorado State, which Justin said was probably about fair. And for San Jose State. They are what looks to be a 26-point favorite playing at home against San Jose State. I got the San Jose State player impact plus minus pulled up. It looks like their most impactful player. His name is Richard Washington. So that's the guy to look out for. He looks to be – oh, he's not even a starter. So – he, he takes a lot of shots when he gets in the game. He's 6'6", so he has some good size. But that being said, his player impact plus minus was two, so it's not great, you know. So guy coming off the bench has a little bit of a positive impact, but nothing special. San Jose State should be pretty close to a gimme 
really. And especially playing them at home. It'll be nice to only play them once this season just because it'll help make the conference strength of schedule a little bit stronger, not being weighed down by that. Wyoming hasn't been doing great either, but it is what it is. And we don't need to worry about Wyoming yet. But those are the two upcoming games. San Diego State should win both of them and be 10-0. and And hopefully that will help their AP rankings jump up from 28th to, I don't know, 27th something. Right? Just keep slowly moving up. And realistically, I don't count the game against San Diego Christian, although I could, but not counting that game. The Aztecs could be, no, not 14, 12, 12 and 0 going into the new year, going into 2020. And they have the New Year's Day game against Fresno State. And as I think about it, it's not a good day to have a game. I think I went to one of those New Year's Day games and it, I don't know, the turnout wasn't super great. But regardless, they they have a real shot here to be 12 and 0. They play Colorado State at 122. They play Utah, who's at 125 currently in Ken Palm. A couple solid teams, but no great teams. So they have a real shot to be 12 and 0. And hopefully I'm not jinxing it. Oh, Knock okay. on wood here. They have a real shot to be 12 and 0, which would be awesome. And and realistically they could even do more than that, but after that they got Fresno State at home to start off the new year and then a couple days later after that, they got Utah State on the road. So the streak likely won't go much more than 12 or 13. You know, they should be able to get Fresno at home, but Justin Justin Hudson is, is a good coach. And he, he, he beat the Aztecs in Viejas last season. So you got to give him credit. But it's hard to imagine this undefeated streak going longer than 13 because Utah State is a good team. And San Diego State passed them in Ken Palm, and that's awesome. But still, playing in Utah at elevation, Utah State is a good team. They might have Nemius Keita back by then, which just makes him even more dangerous. They've been playing without him this whole time, and they still have gotten some good wins. So, anyways, I digress with that. We can uh, send this one off on the note that the Aztecs have a real chance to be 12-0, and 0, and they just need to start by winning at Colorado State. Once again, real quick, thanks to, to Justin. I know he's probably not going to listen to this, but I you know, I thanked him elsewhere as well. Thanks to Justin for, for joining me, even though it didn't work. Uh, thanks to everybody who's listening, obviously. Shout out to my day ones, Crazy Waffle and Joe Fry. I'm hoping I'm saying Joe Fry right. It might be Joe Free. I don't know. They gave me some five-star reviews real early on, and I'm just really appreciative of that. With that, I believe that does it for this one, Aztec fans. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time.